Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. We are back, we are live at some point, and we are here to bring you another awesome, awesome edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's show, make sure you go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Go like the Facebook page. Follow me on Instagram on both my accounts, Logan Blackman or Blackman Logan and the Logan Blackman Show 1. Not the Logan Blackman Show, the Logan Blackman Show 1. Go and follow that on Instagram, Twitter accounts, Logan underscore Blackman. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel and, of course, follow the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts so you never miss an episode of the Logan Blackman Show. But if you don't do that, just make sure you go and follow me on social media. You'll get them anyways. I post them all over the place. Every time I have a show out, they get slapped all over social media. So, yes, we are here. And we are ready to do another show. If you haven't already, outside of like following and subscribing and all that kind of crap, make sure you go and watch the U.S. Men's National Team preview I did. I did another preview for the United States. They're taking on Martinique on Thursday. So we'll do somewhat of a preview here. If you haven't watched the video, I would highly recommend it. I think it's a very enjoyable watch. But of course, I am a little bit biased as I, <laughs> I'm the one that made the video. So I'm going to be a little biased towards my creation, my baby, so yeah, make sure you go and watch that. Lineup predictions in there. You've got squad analysis. We re- we talk about Martinique's squad. We talk about the United States squad. Obviously, we recap the game against Haiti. The one nothing win against Haiti that happened on Sunday night. And yeah, it's an enjoyable video. But again, we'll go over more stuff as we get towards the end of the show. And we'll talk about more of the Gold Cup as we get later on the show. So if you haven't, you can wait till the end of the show. Either You can either wait till the end of the show to hear me talk about it, or you can just go and watch the video. I would personally like you to go watch the video and then come back to the show, but you do whatever you want. It's a free country. You can do whatever the hell you want. I don't really care, but that's just the way I would do it. That's the way I would do it. Okay. But speaking on the terms of soccer tournaments, the UEFA Euro 2020 tournament has ended. We knew this on Sunday. Italy won the title, beating England on penalties. We talked about the stuff going towards Rashford, Sancho, and Bakaya Saka. We roasted Gareth Southgate for the decisions on the penalty takers. Regardless if they decided they didn't want to take them or not, the substitution of Rashford and Sancho for one minute after Rashford's played almost 80 games this season, this calendar year, or this this season, he's played almost 80 games for both club and country in all competitions. Dude needs somewhat of a break. Mixed with that, and then playing in one minute, dude's body just gave up on him. And it's not fun. Rashford's one of the most exciting players in the world and one of my favorite players in the world, my favorite player on Manchester United, mostly because he's two weeks older than me and I think that's pretty cool slash depressing because I'm sitting here talking about him and he has no idea who the hell I am. Maybe one day I will meet Marcus Rashford. Maybe one day, maybe one day. We'll see as time progresses. But yeah, the Euros ended. Sorry for England. Congratulations to Italy. But the team of the tournament has been announced with some mixed results, I guess you can say. It would, I wouldn't say it was an overwhelmingly negative response, but it wasn't like, oh yeah, I see nothing wrong with this team. There are a couple pieces that you could have arguments for, but I, I think it's kind of hard to say the players that are in this team did not deserve to be in the team of the tournament. So most teams of the tournaments are teams this season going a 4-3-3 four, four, three, three formation, pretty positionalist, but they, t- they do try to get the position somewhat accurate. So you're rarely going to see like three strikers across the line. You had one striker in this, and if you haven't seen the team, it's not the one that I think you're thinking of right now. But starting off, goalkeeper Gianluigi Donnarumma, overall player of the tournament. Won two penalty shootouts, made huge saves throughout the tournament. Player of the tournament, 
Obviously, he's going to be the goalkeeper of this tournament. Even though Jan Sommer had a fantastic tournament, Donnarumma is the correct choice <laughs> for the goalkeeper of the tournament and player of the tournament. Defenders, uh, you had two Italians and two Englishmen. You had Harry Maguire, great tournament. And then the Englishman that you might not have expected to be in there is Kyle Walker. Nothing to discredit what Kyle Walker did. Obviously, he had a great tournament, was the right back as England made it to the final. But most people, I think, would assume that the other wide back for England would have made the team of the tournament, Luke Shaw, who is arguably the best left back on the planet at this point in time. He had a great tournament. I think he had a better tournament than Kyle Walker, and I think most people would share that sentiment that he had a better tournament than Kyle Walker. But, again, you can't really argue. I mean, you can make... This is kind of the situation of, like we talked about with Brazil, where you have the two goalkeepers, Edison and Allison. There's not a wrong choice, but there is a right choice. And that's what's kind of here. You don't have a wrong choice between Luke Shaw and Leandro Spinazzola, but you should have gone with Luke Shaw. Spinazzola had a fantastic tournament. I believe he was the fastest clocked player at this Euro, this summer's Euros, which was very surprising to me. I did not expect that whatsoever. He obviously... Went down with Achilles injury. He's going to be out for an extended period of time. I wish him a speedy recovery. And then Leonardo Bonucci was also in the team of the tournament. Stepped up, scored both penalties in the two shootouts he was in. Was a rock in the back for Italy. Yeah. Can't really argue against all the players in the back line. I just think most people were surprised that it wasn't Luke Shaw. But you can understand why Leandro Spinazzola was in the team of the tournament. I think most people understand why it's just... It should have been Shaw, right? It should have. It should have been. In the midfield, you had Jorginho in there. Scored a decisive penalty against Spain. Controlled the midfield. Bossed the midfield for Italy the entire tournament. Uh, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg for Denmark. Maybe, pro probably the most surprising inclusion without this team, throughout this team. As a player, you usually see like one random player from a team that didn't really, like, not a, not a stereotypical big country. Okay, like you had a bunch of players, you had a couple of players from Wales in the last Euros. Denmark, though they're a big, they're a big soccer nation, not necessarily a big country. They have a very vast history in the world of soccer. I just surprised that Pierre Emil Hoiberg made the team. I'm not saying he had a bad tournament or anything whatsoever, but I thought with the performance Granite Shaka put on against France, I thought we would have seen someone like him in the team of the tournament for that one random player in there. But Denmark made it all the way to semifinals, took England extra time, so it makes sense. And then Pedri is the other midfielder, young player of the tournament, played a crap ton of minutes, started every single game for Spain at 18 years old. <laughs> you can't really fault them for being put in this team of the tournament. Like I said, Jaco was one player that I think maybe you could argue for, but again, no real issues there. And then the forwards, Raheem Sterling on the left, Federico Chiesa on the right, two very important players for their teams. Raheem Sterling scored every single goal in the group stage for England. So, and he was uh, he was England's player of the tournament, obviously. Even with Harry Kane there. And I guess you could say like Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw are also up there. But Raheem Sterling had himself a fantastic tournament. Especially coming off of a wonky season by his high standards at Manchester City. With a lot of people not rating him as highly going into this tournament. With a lot of people saying... He shouldn't have even been on the plane, let alone start the tournament, okay? And he went out and had himself a great tournament, so very disturbing in that forward position. Federico Chiesa had a couple massive goals. He scored the first goal against Austria in the knockout stage. 
big tournament for him. Weird in the final, got quote-unquote hurt, which you saw that in a lot of Italian players in this tournament, getting quote-unquote hurt, being on the ground for about a minute and a half and then getting up and running around like nothing's wrong. Now, he did limp off the field, but I still have no idea what the hell happened Federico Chiesa in that game against England. I, re I really have no idea what happened. And then the striker maybe met with some intrigue was Romelu Lukaku. Now, if you look at the Golden Boot race, you have Cristiano Ronaldo and Patrick Schick on top of the old charts with five goals. Now, Cristiano Ronaldo took away the Golden Boot as he got an assist there as well as opposed to Schick getting no assist. And then Benzema comes in third with four goals and zero assist. Lukaku also got four goals this tournament, went farther than all of those guys that I just mentioned, made it to the quarterfinals where the other three got knocked out. Well, I guess Patrick Schick made it to the quarterfinals as well, <laughs> beating the Dutch in the first round. But Ronaldo and Benzema obviously losing their first round match. Benzema losing to Switzerland and Ronaldo losing to Romelu Lukaku's Belgium. But all in all, I'm not too disappointed with this team. Now, you can make arguments for Luke Shaw and Ronaldo. I think those are the two strongest argu arguments you can make for this team. But I, I don't see a lot of real issues within this best 11, or whatever you want to call it, even though that is what it's called. The team of the tournament. Best 11, team of the tournament, whatever you want to call it. Doesn't matter. That's your team. So, Gianluigi Donnarumma in goal. Kyle Walker on the right. Leandro Spinazzo on the left. Leonardo Bonucci partnering Harry Maguire at center back. Pierre-Hemel, Hoiberg, Jorginho, and Pedri in the midfield with Romelu Lukaku, Raheem Sterling, and Federico Chiesa up top. So, yeah, let's just give a quick round of applause for our team of the tournament. Great stuff from you guys. And again, because this is probably the last time we're going to talk about it, I say probably, because I don't know how, I can't see the future. Maybe something huge comes out of this tournament, but this is probably the last time we will talk about Euro 2020. Sad times, sad times. But, you know, we move on. We got other big tournaments coming up, like the Gold Cup. But we're going to go to that a little bit later in the show. Because I still want you to go and watch the video first, before you listen to my stuff about the Gold Cup and the United States versus Martinique. A big-time game. Biggest game of the summer so far. Martinique coming off an embarrassing 4-1 loss to Canada. They're going to be motivated. The United States struggled in a game where they beat Haiti 1-0. It's going to be a highly, intested, a highly intensive game. Oh my goodness, it's going to be awesome. So yeah, make sure you go and watch the video and then come back to the show. <laughs> so while we are, you know, doing a show, we're going to switch on to another football, American football. And I saw this meme on Twitter today and I actually thought it was really funny. It was uh, comparing the two countries of England and the United States. England, and it was a circle. It's like a, like a little flow chart or whatever you want to call it. It was invent a sport, make it worldwide, you suck. That's basically the circle that England had. Start off, you made soccer. Congratulations, you made soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, go ahead and do that. I'm not going to judge. Unless you're the MLS and say, it's called soccer, not football, where over half your teams have FC in the title, it stands for football club, not soccer club. But that's neither here nor there. But you invent the sport, spread it worldwide, you suck. The United States, <laughs> this is, I loved this. Invent the sport, no one else in the world plays it, world champs. Love it. It's one of the cringiest things that when you can watch old NFL clips and go like, we're champs, champions of the world. No, you're not. You're, you're not champs of the world. Now, I can understand it with like baseball because there's a lot of different countries that congregate in baseball. It's the most culturally, culturally diverse sport outside of soccer in the world. And almost every country plays it. 
you can get that with <laughs> the world, the World Series. But the Super Bowl is not a world trophy. They tried NFL Europe. England could care less about football. Canada's got their own thing, and Mexico has a game every year. One game every year. And that's if the field is met to condition. It's up to conditions, because sometimes it's not. <laughs> like the game with the, was it the Rams and Chiefs, where they had to go back to Los Angeles and play one of the greatest games ever, one of the greatest Monday night football games ever. Yeah. The world does not care about football. They treat it as a tourist tourism event, which for the NFL is great, because it, when you have tourists, tourists, more than people that go to games for season tickets and stuff like that, well, buy more things. We talked about this exact same thing when we were going over the European Super League a few months ago, where they want to take this league worldwide. You want the biggest clubs playing in the biggest cities, the biggest stages, so you can get all the money in the world. Screw the season ticket holders. Screw the people that founded the club. Screw the city that the team is based in or the town or the, the cottage or whatever you want to call it. Screw them because they're not making us money. Season ticket holders don't spend that much money in the stadium. It's people that don't have a sports team in their state or in their country that they really follow and go to these games like once a year. Hopefully once a year. Maybe twice a year if they're lucky. That's where you make the money. And that's why the NFL keeps going to England, even though it's stupid. (laughs) Because no one cares. You get a lot of tourists there. The idea of the Jaguars moving there was stupid. And then the idea of the Chargers moving there was almost even dumber because the reasoning behind it was even dumber because of the fact that the attendance in Los Angeles was so bad, they wanted to move to London. Well, what the hell do you think is going to happen in London? (laughs) Your attendance is going to suck, and you're going to have even less fans there because there's nobody even from that state, (laughs) even the country, that's going to be there. And you're going to uproot these college kids and send them across the pond and they have to live in England for six months or however long. Is spring training in there? Not spring training, like OTAs in the United States, or what goes on there? Who tell? Who knows? I <laughs> no idea. That's a dumb idea. I think I saw something that they're bringing back NFL Europe or something like that. There was something else they were bringing back too. The USFL. They're bringing that back as well. So Doug Flutie tweeting about that. I believe it was Doug Flutie that was tweeting about it. But the USFL, for those of you who don't know, was a spring football league in the '80s. Had Donald Trump around for it. And you saw the likes of Jim Kelly, Steve Young, Herschel Walker. Like, you had all these big-name players go over to the USFO, getting these massive contracts, and then playing, and then the league folding, and then you had to go back to the team that originally drafted you. So, like, you had Steve Young with the Buccaneers, Jim Kelly with the Bills, Herschel with the Cowboys? I don't know if he ever got drafted, so I'm just, I don't, I know he played with the Cowboys, obviously the Herschel Walker trade sent in the Minneapolis to Minnesota for the with the Vikings, the one of the... Most lopsided trades in NFL history in regards to what happened after the trade. <laughs> but yeah, USFL making a comeback. Spring football doesn't work either. That's done. I mean, we get attached to it for that little bit of time because you're like, oh my God, spring football. I get to watch football all year round now. And then week three comes around. You go, wow, this is very bad. In that honeymoon phase of, wow, this is football year round wears off. And now you're just stuck with this crappy brand of football that you it's just boring. <laughs> There's nothing exciting going on about it. They try to make things exciting. Like the XFL tried to do all those different plays where you could do two forward passes or something like that as long as it was behind the line of scrimmage. You could do the one, two, or three-point plays after a touchdown. There was no kickoffs. 
all things that were sounded super exciting and then got super boring after week two. At least that's how I took it. I mean, a lot of people might have sat there and enjoyed every single second of watching the XFL. But the quarterback play outside of like P.J. Walker was not great. Uh, everything else just wasn't great. So yeah, I, w- I would not be upset if we just cut it out with the spring football thing. Or brand it like that. Like arena football is a little different than actual normalized football. That's a little, <laughs> that's a little different. Arena football is very exciting. No matter how good your players are, there's always something crazy that's going to happen because they're playing in such a condensed field. Something stupid is going to happen. The XFL, you got bad players on a normal field with not as much cool things happening, and that's why you get (laughs) leagues folding. Like the the AAF. That was just a whole dumpster fire of an experiment. I'm glad that shit's over. And then the XFL is coming back next year, I believe. Well, obviously, it's not back this year. I think the the, the Rock bought it, and then now I think we're going to get it back next year. But enough talking about spring football. Let's talk about fall football. I saw Patrick Mahomes tweeting about it. Football needs to come back. Can't wait for football to get here. We're sitting here in July craving football, which is why these idiot millionaires and billionaires go, we should start a spring league. But with no any not any good players. <laughs> but it's not the same as fall football. We need fall football back. And if you might not follow them or not, I, I don't know if you follow them or not, but part of my take, obviously, is one of the biggest sports podcasts in the world at Barstool Sports, PFT commenter, Big Cat. They posted something on their Instagram story that I found really interesting. It was Billy Football, who's their intern, beat Jose Canseco in a boxing match, put out a thing of quarterback rankings and I thought it was very interesting so I looked at it went over it I don't have it in front of me but I do have another tier list that I will be putting stuff on (laughs) it's a full-blown tier list quarterbacks 2021 2022 tier list maker and this one's nice because it's got one through five six ten eleven through fifteen sixteen through twenty five twenty six through whatever and then backup so I think we can fill out that backup role <laughs> fairly fast. At least I think we can fill out that backup role fairly fast. Like Blake Bortles is a backup. <laughs> I think we can all pretty much say that at this point in time that Blake Bortles is a backup quarterback. Is there any other big name backups on here? Andy Dalton is a backup quarterback now. Gardner Minshew is a backup quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater and Gar- Jer- Drew Locke. Our backup quarterbacks. I don't really rate any of them that highly. I love the story behind Drew Law or uh, behind Teddy Bridgewater, but neither one of them are real full-time stars. You saw the Panthers take a chance on Teddy, and then they—that's why they traded him the very next offseason. But one through five, I think it's a fairly self-explanatory list. Patrick Mahomes. This is in no real order, but Patrick Mahomes has to be in that list somewhere. Aaron Rodgers obviously has to be up there somewhere. And then where's the big man? Where's the there's Josh Allen. Josh Allen goes up there as well. Then you got Russell Wilson up there as well. And then it's kind of hard to argue against, even though he's 43 years old, it's hard to argue Tom Brady is not a top five quarterback in the NFL at this point in time. I think Deshaun Watson is up there as well. I'm gonna throw him at number six, but we don't know the whole situation behind Deshaun Watson. Maybe I move Brady, I'll move Brady down to six and Deshaun up. Deshaun Regardless of off-season situation, I'm not going to get into the off-season stuff. As a quarterback, there is not a lot of better quarterbacks in the NFL than Deshaun Watson, who was coming off a career year 
on a terrible-ass team that had no draft picks, that traded away his best weapon for an injury-prone David Johnson, and I think a third-round draft pick and then trading said draft, or second-round draft pick and then trading said draft pick for Brandon frickin' Cooks, and then letting Will Fuller go this offseason as well, that one can flip-flop. Brady and Deshaun Watson can flip around however you see fit. But going on throughout the rest of that list, uh, Lamar Jackson has to go in that 6-10 through 10 range. And same with Ryan Tannehill, which I never thought I'd say like three years ago <laughs> that Ryan Tannehill would be in a 6-10 through 10 range. But dude's been balling out. Dude is a very, very good quarterback. And then same goes, we might have forgot about this, but Dak Prescott is a good quarterback as well. Another top 10 quarterback. And then this last spot, so we've got what? Nine spots filled out in this top 10. I, who, who do I want to throw there? I'm really stuck between two people, to be 100% honest with you. And this might upset some people. But for right now, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because I think he's absolutely going to explode this year. I'm going to throw Justin Herbert in that number 10 spot. And this is in no real order right now. We might rearrange the order as we move on. But right now, I think those are the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. And then the person I was arguing him with was Matthew Stafford, sitting there at number 11. I think you could flip either one of those around, and I'd be perfectly fine with it. Kyler Murray has to go in that range as well. A very talented, very young quarterback. And then now we get into... A weird run of quarterbacks. Uh, Matt Ryan, I think, has to go up there. Same with Kirk Cousins. They're two very, very good quarterbacks that, I mean, Kirk Cousins more so, get so much hate that I think is so unwarranted. It's It's pretty crazy to me to see how much hate Kirk Cousins actually gets and why. Like, it doesn't seem to understand the Vikings have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL over his entire run with the Vikings. And now they've actually addressed the offensive line this offseason. They actually did it. They drafted Christian Derrissaw. They got Wyatt Davison as well, which will be awesome for them. Yeah, they let Riley Reef go, but hopefully for their sake, Ezra Cleveland can develop into a nice tackle. He's probably going to still play guard for this season because I think Tyler O'Neill, or not Tyler, what's his name? O'Neill, the other tackle for the Vikings, will be at the other side. So it'll probably be an offensive line of Darris on the left with Ezra Cleveland, Bradbury, Davis, and O'Neal. That's probably what their offensive line is going to be. But dude gets way too much hate. And then this last spot. Who do I throw in this last spot? Do I really throw in this last spot? The I got to look at the list to make sure I'm not missing anybody. I don't want to be too quiet because I don't want to go dead silent for a while. I'm going to go with Derek Carr. I'm going to go with De Derek Carr's another guy that I think gets a lot more hate than what he probably deserves. And then you've got other quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield. Joe Burrow goes in that range as well. Who else could go in that range? I, am I missing anybody like massive? I'm looking at the list again. I don't think I really am. But the rookie, the rookies are always hard to rank for me. I don't know how to rank rookies because they haven't played a single snap in the NFL. Even though I think Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance and Justin Fields will be absolute ballers in the NFL. I'm going to put Tyrod Taylor. They have him on the list because unless Deshaun Watson's situation gets figured out, he's going to be the starting quarterback for the Houston Texans. But if it doesn't get if it does get figured out, Deshaun Watson will. I mean, look where they are in the rankings. It's completely, <laughs> they're complete opposites of each other in the rankings. Uh, Carson Wentz, I think, goes in that 16 through 25 range. Same with Jared Goff. 
Two quarterbacks from the same draft class, both at new situations, but two nice quarterbacks that I really like and hope have success at this new their new locations. I think Carson Wentz is more likely to have more success than Jared Goff because you just look at, <laughs> look at the rosters they have. Now, the Lions are building a pretty decent offensive line, but weapons-wise, there's not a lot there. I like DeAndre Swift. I love TJ Hawkinson. I'm intrigued by Matt Campbell. <laughs> I'm very intrigued by Matt Campbell, but I really have no idea what to make of him at this point. Oh, Daniel Jones can go in that 26 down range. Two, jeez. Ah, now we're get we're just getting in that weird stretch where I don't know where to rank anybody. I'm gonna I'm am gonna throw Jalen Hurts. I don't I don't know. I'm gonna throw Trevor Lawrence in that 16 through 25 range. I'm feel confident in that answer right now. Jeez. Okay, so we've got 20 quarterbacks ranked right now. So going I know I'm gonna go over the order at the end. We'll rearrange each group at the end of this whole thing. I I I've always been a stickler for doing this throughout the times I've done quarterback rankings on my show of putting the rookies at the very bottom. But when it's looking like this, where it has a, I don't know, it's just really hard to rank. Jordan Love, at this point in time, is a backup. I mean, he just is. <laughs> he's he's not starting. We don't know if he ever will start. We don't know the situation with Aaron Rodgers. But right now, Jordan Love is not a starter in the NFL. He is a backup. Uh, same thing goes for is there anybody else on here that I think is a backup no that's pretty much it for the backup spot I think Ryan Fitzpatrick goes up in that 26 range he might slip up into that 25 16 to 25 range but who knows (sighs) this is just frustrating now who else would I rank that highly who would I put that high 16 through 25 this is going to be 21 through 25 now Jalen Hurts, I think, has to go up there. I like Jalen Hurts. Hopefully he gets a fair shot in Philadelphia. I know the Eagles have not necessarily been the most, at least publicly, committed to Jalen Hurts. Nick Sirianni, not committed. He won't name a starting quarterback. I think it's between him and Joe Flacco at this point in time for the Eagles' starting quarterback job. He should win it. At least that's what I'm expecting for this upcoming season. And the rest of them. Here's the quarterbacks I'm dealing with. You might understand where I'm coming from now. Taysom Hill, Cam Newton, Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, Ben Roethlisberger, Jameis Winston, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Tua, and Justin Fields. That's my conundrum at this point in time. I'm going to throw Justin Fields and Tua up there. I I don't think Tua's as bad as what people are saying. I just think he had a normal rookie season. I just think his rookie season was bang average. So that... In today's NFL, especially when you're with quarterbacks in this draft class that are with Burrow and Justin Herbert who are lighting up the stat sheet, it's hard to rank Tua comparatively to the other quarterbacks in his draft class because his rookie year was very normal. Brian Flores would have stuck with Ryan Fitzpatrick the entire season, but the the coaching or the front office who drafted Tua, who said the whole acronym, or not acronym, the whole offseason goal of tank for Tua, they got Tua, and he's the freaking backup to Ryan Fitzpatrick. So the front office and Chris Greer are going to go, get him in. Hey, Brian, you going to play your quarterback? Which is why I've seen stupid rumors of Brian Flores being on the, uh, the hot seat. At least that's what I would assume why he's on the hot seat, because he's a very good coach in a very stacked AFC. He went 10-6 and six last year and missed the playoffs. Like, 
you're going to be good. Well, we saw an 8-8 eight eight Bears team and a 7-9 and nine Washington football team make the playoffs, who just announced that in 2022, they will have a new name and logo. So I'm very intrigued to see what that will end up being. I actually don't mind Washington football team. I really don't mind it. I actually think it's quite cool. I like the European style of the team name for the Washington football team. I know a lot of people might not like it, say it's too boring, but I personally don't mind it whatsoever. Now I feel weird about putting two of that high. I, the rookies, I don't like putting rookies that high, but I have to because I think these rookies are very good. And I, now I'm looking at my list, and I hate that they put 16 through 25 when they could have just made another tier because I don't want to put two on Burrow on the same list or same row, even though they're, what, Burrow is technically 17 and Tua is uh, 23. So, I mean, that's, I don't know. I'm going to throw Jameis up there. I think Jameis is better than Tua at this point in time. I think Jameis is super talented. He just needs to get some consistency. You could say that a lot about the quarterback class coming into this year's draft. Consistency. And now that he got LASIK eye surgery and actually reads street signs, hopefully he doesn't throw 30 interceptions again. And playing under Sean Payton, taking a year learning from Drew Brees, playing with Michael Thomas, I think it can only be good for him. Having Alvin Kamara as a check down back, good offensive line, Ryan Ramchick just signed, signed the biggest deal in offensive line history, he should be well protected in Tampa Bay. Now, is the weapons as a whole better than what he had in Tampa? I don't know. It's pretty comparable. I mean, he doesn't have a Chris Godwin anywhere, but you didn't have an Alvin Kamara down there either. So, I don't know. I'm expecting Jameis to have a nice year with a better coach. Or not. Well, yeah, Sean Payton's a better coach than Bruce Arians. Is that sacrilege to say that? Sean Payton's a better coach than Bruce Arians. I know a lot of Vikings fans out there won't like that, but I had a conversation with a friend this weekend about the whole Bounty Gate thing. It's like, oh, I hate, why they, they shouldn't have gone to the Super Bowl? Well, they didn't cheat. Bounty Gate wasn't cheating. It's wrong. <laughs> it's not cheating. They just gave players extra incentives to injure players. That's not cheating. Some players just do that anyways. You, you've watched Vontez Perfect play, Bill Romanowski. You've watched these guys play. They do that normally. They don't need incentives to do that. But when you get that incentive, it is nice. And Greg Williams is a, a well-known douchebag. So I don't like to... Well, let's leave Greg Williams out of this. <laughs> I want Greg Williams to be the head coach of the Jets again. That was one of my favorite periods ever. The interim head coach... Actually, no, he never was the interim coach. He was the interim coach of the Browns. He got fired as the D coordinator from the Jets, which surprised me because he's such a good interim head coach. But yeah, dude, Greg Williams. Is he doing anything now? Now I want to look this up to see if Greg Williams is actually employed by somebody because I think that's pretty ridiculous if he's still... How Greg Williams manages to swindle his way into NFL jobs amazes me. I will never understand that. Okay, he's no longer on any team. He's not on the Jets anymore. He was the Bills head coach for two years. So, yeah, a douchebag is how I was. Three years, I guess. Three years. He's just a douchebag. My mom doesn't like it when I say that word, but he is. He's just an all around, He's just a straight douchebag. That's all I could really say to describe him. Ben Roethlisberger, I think I'll throw up there as well. I can't believe I haven't ranked him that highly yet. I don't expect him to do a lot this year. That's mainly the reason I have him this low. I, I'm going to adjust the list as I go on, as I said before, but this is what I'm dealing with right now. So what do we've got? We've got 20, 
right? 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Is that, do I like that? Do I like that? I don't know. <laughs> I might want to move uh, Tyrod down one because, uh, well, no, I, I like Tyrod Taylor. I, but Sam Darnold goes up there. Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, all those guys go up in that range. And then you got Jimmy Garoppolo. <sighs> Jimmy, Jimmy is better than Tua right now. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. I feel bad for Jimmy, even though, I mean, he's very limited as a starter. I'll give him that. He's very injury prone. Best availability is, or best ability is availability. He's never available. So that's a little bit of an issue that he has. And then as we keep going, Taysom Hill and all those guys. Jay, I think as far as the guaranteed starters for the NFL, I would say that the Broncos QB situation, well, I don't know. I don't like Daniel Jones. That's That's been pretty well documented on this show that I don't necessarily rate Daniel Jones that highly. But let's go through this list again and rearrange it if need be. One through five, I think it's pretty set in stone. I think. Uh, six through ten, I'm going to move Dak up one. So the top, the top ten to me right now, and Lamar, I know Lamar is going to get a lot of hate, but there's things that he does that no one else in the NFL can do. Yes, he's not the most accurate passer, but I think having a better receiving core, which isn't that hard to do for the Ravens, all you had to do was add one receiver, and they added like three or four, will be huge. With the likes of Tylen Wallace and Rashad Bateman, who are coming from offenses in college where they had to run block, where they had to make plays in the passing game. That is perfect for what the Ravens do. Perfect. And Marquise Brown can be used more as a slot guy. Sammy Watkins will inevitably get hurt after week two because he'll ball out week one and then get hurt some point after week two. <laughs> That's just always how it happens with Sammy Watkins. But most electric player on the field at all times. Yes, he'll need to work on some stuff, but I'm not too concerned about Lamar Jackson. He can do things that no one else in this league can do. No one. He was a unanimous MVP for a reason. If they can call plays, like not script plays, and make them super easy to read and super easy to stop and go, wow, we saw this exact same formation last year, and it's not working anymore. We're not changing. One thing the NFL does better than every league in sports is that it adapts. Better than any other sport. You don't usually go into a next season and run the exact same plays and be as good as you were before. But the Ravens were still good. Lamar Jackson was still good last year. But he got put under a freaking microscope last year because of some throws he had. And that was an issue. So he's fallen out of the top five. But number seven ain't bad. And then 11 through 15, Stafford. Where do I want to put the other guys? Do I, do I like that order? Kyler Murray, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, and then Derek Carr? Is that right? Do I move Kirk Cousins up one? I, I like Kirk Cousins. I don't, I don't, I've never understood why he gets as much hate as he does. I remember standing in line at a bar up in Cedar Falls and then hearing these kids behind me going, man, Kirk Cousins is the worst quarterback in the NFL, which was, was never true. <laughs> but, you know, things get said. And I don't know if they were exactly under the inf if they were under the influence of anything or not. I don't know, but I think I'm going to keep that order. So Stafford, Murray, Rat Ryan, Kirk Cousins, and Derek Carr. Sixteen Baker Mayfield. Seventeen Joe Burrow. I think that's fair. Cut had a really great first half of the season before tearing his ACL. Bengals improved the offensive line. They got him Jamar Chase. Excited, 
is a very I I am very excited to see what Joe Burrow can do in year two. Zach Taylor, this is probably his last year at the Bengals. Can't do at least something, but I would hopefully give him. I would I would give him one more year because their defense is still pretty bad. They need to improve that defense a lot before they can actually challenge in probably the toughest division in football next to the NFC West. With is that a crazy thing to say that the Steelers, Ravens, or Bank Steelers, Ravens, and Browns with those three above you, you're gonna have to improve your defense and. <laughs> fast. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck at the bottom of that division for a while, but I really like their quarterback. Really, really like Joe Burrow. Next on these lists, uh, Jared Goff right behind Carson Wentz. Yeah, I'd probably rank it like that. So 18 Carson Wentz, 19 Jared Goff, 20 Trevor Lawrence. Would I move Trevor Lawrence above anybody on there? I don't know. 20 I think is fine since, again, we haven't seen him play a single snap in the NFL. Justin Fields, I'll move him one spot above Jalen Hurts. I like what they've got in Chicago on offense. You've got a nice running back at David Montgomery, Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney. I'm excited to see what they can do. they got like 20 tight ends. Hopefully they use Justin Fields right. Hopefully, unless he's ready to go, which it looks like he might be. I don't know. It's tough to tell. And Actually, I might... Because I don't don't think Ben's going to be that good this year, but... He was good at the start of the year last year and then kind of fell off because the receivers for the Steelers just kept dropping passes. So I don't know where to put Ben Roethlisberger really on this list. I don't really know where to put Jimmy Garoppolo or Jameis Winston either. Do I think this is how the top 32, 25 quarterbacks look? I might rearrange once this show's over because I, I don't want to just sit in dead silence for a while and just keep not saying anything. But if I had to do 26 through whatever backup spot. I think Trey Lance is probably... I uh, know Ryan Fitzpatrick's the best on there. And then Trey Lance. Then I would probably throw... Jeez. Uh, t- I don't know. <laughs> this is damn near impossible. I'm going to put Tua, then Cam, and then Sam, and then Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Ty... No, Jeez, Jan- uh, this is stupid. Taysom Hill can go above Tua. Yeah, I like this order better. So Ryan Fitzpatrick, Trey Lance, Taysom Hill, Tua, Cam Newton, Sam Darnold, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Tyrod Taylor, and Daniel Jones last. Yeah, I would rank Tyrod Taylor above Daniel Jones easily. And then backups, Blake Bortles, Andy Dalton, Gardner Minshew, Treddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, and Jordan Love. Yeah, that's probably how I'd rate that. (laughs) I don't know. We'll edit this list more as we get closer. As we release the show, we'll actually see the whole tier list and have questions probably why because all the tiers are really wrong. You hate how this quarterback is rated here, but that's kind of how I would rate it. Right now, this is subject to change. Obviously, this is a way too early prediction. We've never seen the likes of Burrow, or, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, or Mac Jones play a single snap in the NFL. So it's very hard to rank them. And this isn't necessarily like, oh, I think that Trustin Trustin Fields is this much better than Zach Wilson. I know a lot of people would say that he's a ton better, but it's also situations. Justin Zach Wilson is in the worst situation out of the quarterbacks that were taken in the first round. Out of situations, Trey Lance was taken in the best one. Then you would throw in Justin Fields at two, then Trevor Lawrence, then Mac Jones, and then Zach Wilson. That's how the situation is for them. Because if you look at the quarterback they're learning under, 
because I don't expect, I mean, other than Trevor Lawrence, I don't expect the other ones to get starts right away. Maybe Zach, well, Zach Wilson will probably start right away, right, wrong, or otherwise, but Trey Lance is learning under Jimmy Garoppolo, Justin Fields under Andy Dalton, Camp, Mac Jones under Cam Newton, and then Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson will start right away. I don't know about the other ones, but the top two picks in the draft will start right away. I'm excited to see what Zach Wilson does. I'm excited to see what if people would are gonna that are gonna watch him. Because I know a lot of people didn't like that he was taken before Justin Fields. But he has a lot of things to like, and I hope at spurts it shows with the Jets, because obviously I'm a Bills fan. I don't want him to have a ton of success with the Jets, but some. I don't want him to be a bust. I'll never wish anybody being a bust. And we did this whole 2018 quarterback class compared to the 2021 draft class because you had five quarterbacks taken in the first round. You had Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson. So if that in that list, remember we did this a few weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, back when the draft was happening, you have Zach Wilson easily compares to Josh Rosen, that kid from a rich background, Coming in, a lot of hype. Will he live up to that little slender build? Mac Jones is Baker Mayfield. Not the most not most well-heralded quarterback in this draft class, even though he had the best stats, had the best season out of the other quarterbacks in this draft class last season. And then Trey Lance is Josh Allen. This raw prospect coming from a smaller school, very mobile, very big dude. Trevor Lawrence is Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold was easily the number one prospect in that draft in most people's eyes. A lot of people really liked Sam Darnold. Everybody, and that was a big-time draft scout guy, said that Sam Darnold is the best quarterback in this draft. He usually went like Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh, or Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Baker, Lamar. That's what most top fives looked like at that time. You saw Josh Allen creep up there in every, every once in a while, but consistently it was Darnold, Rosen, Allen, Mayfield, Jackson. And then Justin Fields is Lamar Jackson. A quarterback that put up great numbers in college, but some question marks going in and drafted a little bit lower than what a lot of people might have originally expected. Now, Lamar Jackson got drafted 32nd. Justin Fields got drafted 11th. So a little different in the area where they were drafted. But I'm excited to see what he does. I'm excited to see what he does. Matt Nagy got a quarterback that he wants, apparently. So let's see how good Matt Nagy does with his quote-unquote choice at quarterback. I don't like Matt Nagy, <laughs> but I like Justin Fields. I really like Justin Fields, and I hope he does well in Chicago. I like the Bears being from Iowa, having family from Illinois, from Chicago. We do like the Bears, even though we are not Bears fans, which is weird. We're fans of every other team I'm a fan of is in Chicago, except for my NFL team. I'm a fan of the Cubs, the Blackhawks, the Bulls, and then the Bills. And then Sporting Kansas City. I'm not a Chicago Fire fan, but that goes down to me playing for JUSC slash Sporting Iowa. They were a feeder club to Sporting Kansas City. So you could technically say I was academy prospect for Sporting Kansas City. You could say that. You can definitely say that. But yeah, weird. But speaking of academy prospects at Sporting Kansas City, will we see Jean-Luc Abusio start in the game against Martinique? I, for one, sure hope so. I don't think that will happen, though. I do not think Jean-Luc Abusio will start, even though it would be awesome to see him start. I don't really think it will happen. Even though, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinions out there, played better than Jackson Ewell, Stuart Holden, who was on the broadcast, who I really like Stu as a broadcaster, said this was probably Jackson Ewell's best game. 
for the United States, but he doesn't do anything that really excites people. Jean-Luc Abusio had did more to people's eyes on one strike of the ball than Jackson Yule did in 70-whatever minutes, 64 minutes, or however long he played. That strike was awesome. Busio in the midfield seemed a lot more lively than Jackson Yule. But is it really realistic to think that Busio in his second-ever appearance in the United States would be a start? Is that weird to think about? Like Even Pulisic wasn't starting at this point in time. But Pulisic came into a squad when he played in the Gold Cup, and his first Gold Cup was a little bit of a stronger team than the one we're seeing right now. So, I don't know. I would love to see him start, but I just don't think it's time. Or, th- I don't think Burhalter will think it's time to start him right now. I think Ewell is a very safe option. But, like I say in the video, so if you haven't watched it yet, this is your perfect time to go pause this and go watch the video. This game's a game where you can test things and hopefully get away with it. If you want to take a risk that you wouldn't necessarily take against, like, Canada or Mexico, you do that against Martinique, who aren't even recognized as a national team by FIFA. So this is a game you should take those risks. Martinique's coming off a 4-1 loss to Canada and shocked everybody. And when I say shocked, I mean shocked everybody when they went up 1-0 against Canada for about six minutes. (laughs) And then Canada won 4-1. But that 10 minutes... Or 15 minutes that they, or well, five minutes they were in the lead <laughs> was one of the most crazy things I've seen in a very, very long time. Emmanuel Riviere scored the goal, striker from most notably from Newcastle United and at Monaco, played a lot of games, I think 42 to be exact, underage games for France, has played three for Martinique with two goals. Martinique, similar thing to Haiti, but a lot less scary than Haiti. They're going to attack. That's their main thing. Haiti actually has players that have proven this and have done very well in 2021. Perot, uh, Nizan, Etienne, big players for Haiti that have played very well in 2021. Martinique does not necessarily have that. Again, they're not even registered by a... a, They're not even an official FIFA-registered country. (laughs) But they're in the Gold Cup. So... This is a game for the United States. If they want to play Busio, do that. If you want to change formations, do that. If you want to experiment with some players in different positions, do that. And then against Canada, hopefully you're enough. You've picked up your stride at that point to go into that Canada game feeling very good about what you got and then finish top of the group. I think no matter what the United States do, they should win the game, but I hope you hear this. Knocking on wood because I don't want to jinx anything. <laughs> so... For this game, I'm predicting the United States win this game 3-0. Canada beat them 4-1. United States, I think, should definitely beat them 3-0. I think that's the bare minimum for the United States. If they don't beat them 3-1, I think a lot of fans will be very disappointed with what goes on there. As far as the starting lineup goes, I think most of it will stay the same. But obviously, you'll have Paul Ariola. We don't know if his injury is going to keep him out of this game. I haven't really heard anything, but coming off after the 14th minute... In the game against Haiti, I'd be pretty surprised if he did start in this game. Especially against Haiti, you don't want to take any risks. Or against Martinique, you don't want to take any unnecessary risks in regards to injury. You can do that tactically. Injury-wise, you don't need to do that. Which is why I think Shaq Moore will also keep a position at right back. It also makes it easier to start Shaq Moore because of the fact he's coming off in a man of a match. Man of the match. Jeez. A man-of-the-match performance against Haiti. He set up the first goal that Sam Vines scored. It was assisted technically by Jassy Sardes, 
So congratulations, Diocese Artists, for the second fastest player to reach 10-plus goals and 10-plus assists, 12 goals, 10 assists, on 57 appearances right behind Landon Donovan. But Shaq Moore set it up. Shaq Moore played very, very well in that game against Haiti, and I think he should keep his spot. The rest of the back line stays the same as well. Matt Turner starts, Walker Zimmerman, Duncan Rob- Robinson is the other center back with Sam Vines at left back. Sam Vines obviously scored the goal, so it's going to be hard to bench him, and they didn't really bring a lot of other strong left back options. Even though Sam Vines did get caught out a couple times defensively, he's not losing his starting job in this game. And then we said Jackson Ewell start at the six, and then we'll have Legette and Acosta play again there. And then up top, in that front three, this is where you're going to see the most changes. You have Giacchini start on that right wing. Looked a little uncomfortable at times because he's, he's not a natural winger. The U.S. brought two natural wingers. One of them's hurt. The other one did little to nothing against Haiti and Jonathan Lewis. So do we switch it up with that too? Giacchini will start. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Maybe Hoppy sneaks into a starting berth there for the United States. More so on that left wing. But I think because they did this at the end of the game, and it kind of surprised me and may surprised a few people out there, of Jayassi Zardes going over to the left wing with Daryl DK playing up top. Zardes, for those of you who are unaware, came in through the United States and came through the LA Galaxy Academy as a left winger. And then naturally, or eventually, switched over to a striker, and he's been playing for the past, what, three or so years? Three or four years? Playing for the LA Galaxy and Columbus Crew, playing as a striker. Now he's doing that for the United States, and right now, I think he's the number one, number nine for the United States. Just how I see it right now. I could be completely wrong. DK could go off again. Because at club level, there's not a striker in better form than Daryl DK. As you saw what he did at Barnsley, he's still doing it with Orlando City. Where he moves, he's got a market value of about $10 million or $9 million, somewhere around there. I don't expect him to stay at Orlando City for that much longer. <laughs> nah, it's, it's just not happening, is it? He's not staying there. He's too good for there. Kyle Laren left at the first opportunity to do that. He's finally reaping the benefits of that. But Kyle Laren is not as good as Daryl DK when he left for Europe. Daryl DK should be able to start for the club he goes to, and it looks like it's somewhere in England. Hopefully it's in the Premier League. Probably not, though. Probably another championship team, but who knows? And speaking of championship teams, Ethan Horvath made a move official today, signing with Nottingham Forest, so hopefully he gets some starts there. Didn't get a lot of starts for Club Bruges. If he wants to really challenge Zach Steffen for that number one spot, he's going to have to get some starts for Nottingham Forest. And I know... Some people out there are going to go, well, Logan, Zach Steffen doesn't start for Man City. Why does it matter if Ethan Horvath starts? Well, here's the thing. It's a little bit different to be a backup on Manchester City when the starter above you is the third best goalie in the world versus Nottingham Forest, who are in the championship and not looking coming up anytime soon. So there's a little bit of a different thing there. <laughs> Zach Steffen's still the number one. I know a lot of people romanticize the penalty save. Ethan Horvath is not better than Zach Steffen. At this point in time, that could change. Zach Steffen might get hurt. Ethan Horvath or Matt Turner might take that number one spot. I know a lot of hipster fans out there are going to want Matt Turner to be the number one. But right now, it's Zach Steffen. Daryl DK will be on the move shortly. I don't expect him to be at Orlando City for much longer. But that's the lineup. Matt Turner and Nett. Shaq Moore on the right. Walker Zimmerman, Duncan, Miles Robinson, center back. Sam Vines on the left. Jackson Yule. Hopefully Busio. But Jackson Yule at the number six. Legette. In Acosta as a number eight, with Giacchini on the right, Zardes on the left, DK up top. I think Walker Zimmerman will be the captain for this next game against Martinique. 
As we've talked about, Greg Berhalter does not usually go repeat captains. You rarely see that. I think Zach Steffen's one of the few guys that has been a repeat captain for the United States. At least that I can remember. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm forgetting some people that have been repeat captains. But in the last Gold Cup, he rotated it. Every single competition, he rotates it. So I don't really think Leggett will be the captain again. I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. But I think it will be Walker Zimmerman be the captain for this game. I could also see someone like Jackson Ewell being the captain. I could see Jaiassi Zardes being the captain. Sam Vines after scoring the goal, even though he's not very experienced. I could see him being the captain because he scored. Matt Turner's the number one goalie for the United States right now, so he could be the captain, but I think naturally Walker Zimmerman's the next best candidate. Or he could give it to Shaq Moore, who's the man of the match in the game against Haiti. I don't know who they're going to choose a captain. My gut says Walker Zimmerman will be the captain for this game. I could see the United States switching to a back three or a back five, however you look at it. I could see Busio playing as the number six in this team. I could see them going with a two-striker system with Zardes and DK. Back three of Sands, Zimmerman, and Robinson with Moore and Vines as the wingbacks. I think that's a very plausible uh, system for the United States to play, especially with how weird their wingers are, especially with only one real winger healthy for the United States. I think that will be big for them. So, yeah, United States wins 3-1. Emmanuel Riviera is going to be the main focus point for Martinique in this game. If you can shut him down, you pretty much shut down the rest of the team. So, yeah, that's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. If you didn't like it, I apologize. I felt this was a very awkward show today. But, yeah, I'm just tired. I'm sleep-deprived. I need to get some rest. I'm going to go to bed right after I record this show. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed the show. If not, again, I apologize. Go watch my YouTube video covering the United States and Martinique. That game will be at 830 on Thursday on FS1, so make sure you tune into that as well. And yeah, that's all I've got for you today. Enjoy the show, and I will see you all later. Peace.